I'm excited to get to share this passage. This was a passage that's kind of confused me a lot for a while, but after studying, I'm like, this is awesome. And it's, it's like, like I'm excited about this passage of Scripture. And so we're going to be getting into it here in a second, but before we do, I want you to just kind of use your imagination a little bit. And what I want you to think about is back to when you were a kid and you got a Lego set. Um, whether you are, it's for your birthday, or like I got them for my birthday, so kind of thinking about that a little bit, um, or for Christmas, or just whatever, you got a new Lego set and you're just pumped about it, or or let's just say you even got just like that piece that you build everything on, the foundation Lego set, you know, you got like that square one, or you've got just these neat, crazy Lego sets that you can build a bunch of stuff on, and if you got something like that... Um, and you want to show it to someone. You want to show it to your dad or your mom or your brother or sister afterwards. And you're just excited about this. You're like, yes, I've got Legos. It's going to look sweet. Um, the question would come up, what kind of pieces are you going to use? Or how are you going to build? Like, what are you going to put on this thing? What are you going to build up to show to someone? Is it going to, are you just going to use those normal 2x4 four by, by four red Lego pieces that you see on the box? Those kind of plain, boring ones? Or are you going to try to find the coolest pieces out there? You know, you're looking for just the ones with the designs. You've got those little jewels and um, whatever it is. Because there's, there's some crazy Legos out there. Um, or are you just going to use the normal plain ones and say, like, all right, that's cool, but there are other pieces out there. It could have been cooler. Um, really, the question is, how great do you want your Lego set to look? Um, that, that's the question. And, and as you think about that, then think about building up the body of Christ, and how great do we want the body of Christ to look? How great do we want the church to look? Um, ministry is a lot like building on a Lego foundation. <laughs> we're, we're building something up, and it's going to be presented before our Lord one day, and, and the question is, are, do you want it to look good? Do you want what you've done to look really, really good, and to be, be able to say, look what I've done for you, Lord, or are you just going to use the normal pieces that you've got and say, well, at least I built something? You know, I've got this, the best foundation out there, but at least I've got something. Um, the reason I, I want you to think like that is because that's exactly what 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 17 is addressing. Um, if you open up there, what we've been looking at is a lot on ministry. And here he's going to get even more so on the mindset of what it looks like to do church ministry. So we're going to look at these eight verses in 1 Corinthians 3. And starting in verse 10... Uh, this is what God's word says. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be, re to be revealed with fire." And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. So as we jump into this passage, we need to kind of remember where we've been in 1 Corinthians. Obviously, we've had a bit of a week off. We've had a break. And so 
I want to start by reminding us what we've looked at in these first two chapters and a bit of this third chapter in 1 Corinthians. Specifically, Paul has been addressing the issue of unity, wisdom, and spiritual maturity throughout these first three chapters. And especially here in these, these first chapters of chapter 3, he's been addressing wisdom and spiritual maturity all wrapped up in this issue of unity that we've got going on in the church. In verses 1 to 5 of chapter 3, Paul's addressing his concern that they're being spiritually immature over this division that they're talking about. He's, he's grieved that they aren't maturing at the rate they should be maturing as Christians, and that rather they're still living like, like any other person does, like a person outside of the church, because they are d- practicing this unity, disunity and there's jealousy and strife among them through what they're doing. Look at verse 4 especially. He says, For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? That's his concern. He's like, you guys are divided over your leaders, and you're acting like mere men. You're not acting like Christians. You're not at the level of maturity that you should be at as believers. And as he's concerned about this issue of disunity, he goes into this reminder about the nature of ministry in verses 5 to 9. He reminds us ministers are servants given opportunity from God to plant and water as if we're working in a garden. And in all of this, God is giving the growth. Verse 7, I think, is especially is a key one. Here we read this. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is, is anything, but God causes the growth. He, Paul didn't view ministry as something that was worth dividing over because he knew Growth was caused by God, not by certain leaders. Paul, Paul didn't cause growth. Apollos didn't cause growth. You and I don't cause growth. Rather, God causes the growth. And as he's taking on this idea of ministry, he says in verse 9, reminding them of who we are as the church, first he talks about ministers, for we are God's fellow workers, the ministers in the church, and honestly, all of us ministering our workers. And then he says this about the church's nature. You are God's field, God's building. And so he just explained this idea of the field, the garden that's planted and watered, but God's causing the growth. And now he's going to start talking about this building analogy. That's where we come in in verses 10 to 17. He's going to think about it more as a building and the work of ministry in that light. So as we transition to verse 10, he's going to start with that idea, okay, ministry is like building. And he starts with his own personal ministry to them. Verse 10 we read that according to the grace of God which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. So Paul, Paul saw his ministry as part of the building process. Part of it is laying the foundation of the church. And we're going to get into what that foundation is and why it's key that it has to be founded this certain way. But first off, I want to just make a couple notes about what Paul says about ministry in verse 10. He, he says that in verse 10, according to the grace of God which was given to me. And Paul saw grace, or excuse me, Paul saw ministry as a grace from God. He didn't, Paul didn't think, oh, I deserve this ministry that's been given to me. No, he's like, this is a gift from God that I do not deserve to get to minister. And really, that's what all ministry is like. And, and you see this throughout Scripture. Again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you flip there with me, just one book over, In verse 1, Paul was writing again under the inspiration of the Spirit, and he said, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. 
Paul, Paul was saying, we received this ministry, but it was a mercy from God. Ministry is not something we deserve. It's not something we just choose and do. Rather, it is a grace and mercy from God to be involved in ministry. And that, I think, honestly, should, as we're talking about the mindset of a minister, if we go back to 1 Corinthians 3, we have to think about ministry in this light if we're going to do ministry well. Um, this, this is just a side note on the nature of ministry and our mindset, but it's so true that we need to see ministry as a grace. It is given to us as a gift from God that we want to take, care, take well care of. It's not something we just get and it's not something we just choose to do, but rather we, we view it as God has given us this graciously and I want to use that well. But more so, let's continue to look at this passage. Paul was saying, according to the grace of God which is given to me, his ministry, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. And like I said, we'll understand more of what that foundation is. But I just want to make this point. Paul was seeing his ministry as laying a foundation, laying the groundwork for other ministry to be built on. That's why he says, and another is building on it. And this is the work Paul did from city to city. Wherever he went, there wasn't a church established. And so he would go evangelize, plant churches, and begin to set up a ministry so that a church would be able to function there in that city. His work was planting and establishing a foundation in different cities. And so another is building on it. That's the idea that we're going to get at. That's who we're going to focus on now is that other building on it. And if we think about it, in a sense, we're all part of that other building on it. Foundations have been laid for us. The foundation of the church in the apostles from the first century. Or if you even just think about it, we're here at Grace Bible Church. We're part of it. And someone laid a foundation back a while ago. I, I can't even remember how long ago right now, but a while ago. And all we're doing is building on that foundation. We're just taking the work they did and continuing it. Um, again, as a note on disunity, there's no, Paul doesn't see a distinction here between his work and another's work. He's like, I started the building. Someone else is helping me finish this building. It's going to keep building. I just did part of it. So all ministry is on the same side. We're all part of the same building that we're working on. We're all doing the same work, whether we're laying foundations, whether we're building it up. But let's focus on that other building on it. That's what we really want to talk about here, is another who is building on it. And, and for this other who's building on the foundation that has already been laid, we receive a command at the end of verse 10. Look there with me, it says, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. And this is the main point of the whole passage that, we're, that we have right here. We're given a command to take care as to how we build on the foundation. Paul is warning us, I laid a foundation, another is building on it. You who are building on it, take care how you build. But don't, so you can't just think, okay, well, if I just do any kind of ministry, I'm good. No, take care how you build. And let me clarify something else, too, if you're thinking this. This is not just for pastors, teachers, and church leaders. This, this isn't only for the elders of the church or for people in positions of leadership that are more public than others. No, this is for everybody in the church. Each man must be careful how he builds on it. In fact, in at least the NASB, the NASB version of the Bible, we have five times in eight verses, each man or any man. It says, each man must be careful. If any man builds on this foundation, each man's work will become evident. Any man's work he has built or any, 
and if any man's work is burned up. He is talking to everybody here. If you are part of each man or any man, then you are part of this group. And this isn't just gender exclusive either. This is inclusive of everyone. Every person must be careful how they build on the foundation. And again, we are talking not just about building ourselves up, but building up the church too. I know for a while I had this misconception about this passage of Scripture that I was like, okay, I need to be careful how I build myself up in Christ. No, he's talking about ministry. Remember verse 9, we are God's building and he says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. We're talking about a communal building, something more than just myself personally. We are talking about the church. So we must take care how we build up the church, how we function in ministry in the church. And as we, as we get into that then, Actually, one more point on every Christian is called to faithful church ministry. I'm getting ahead of myself. I just want to make this so clear using other scripture as well. We're all called to faithful ministry in the church. Jump over to Ephesians chapter 4 with me. You got, you're in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, and then Ephesians. So just a couple books to your right. Chapter 4. And I want to look at verses 11 and 12. You see it says... And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So let me just explain this shortly. What, what we read here is that some were given as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Some were given as church leaders for the equipping of the saints. And the, the saints then are equipped for the work of service for the building up of the body of Christ. We're all called for that work of service. We're not called to sit back on a Sunday, on a Wednesday, at your Bible studies and think, okay, I'm just here, people are building me up, and that's what we're supposed to do. No, you are called to service. Again, we're going to go one more place, 1 Peter. So if you go towards the end of your Bible, um, 1 Peter is right after James, and believe it or not, right before 2 Peter. And he says in chapter 4, Verse 10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. And I want to point out, Especially verse 10, as each one has received a special gift, employ in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Every believer in the church has been given gifts, spiritual gifts to use for service, to be good stewards of, guess what, the manifold grace of God. Remember that. This is a grace of God. We are called to be good stewards of that in our ministry, in our service which is why we must be careful how we build. We're given these gifts and opportunities to minister, and so we must be careful to build in the right way. So if back in 1 Corinthians 3 in our text, we're going to understand a little bit more about why we must be careful. That's what Paul's getting at. We have three reasons in 1 Corinthians 3 as to why we should take care how we build on this foundation. And the three reasons, I'll, I'll tell you what they are, and then we'll look at each of them individually. First... There's only one foundation on which to build. Second, 
Our work will be tested by God himself. And third, we are building up God's temple. And we'll see all, all of these in this, in this passage we're going to consider. And first, we're going to start with, there is only one foundation on which to build. And we find that in verse 11. Look with me at that verse. We read, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Like I said, we're going to get to the foundation, and, and this is, I think, so crucial. The foundation, as you can read in this verse, is Jesus Christ. Our foundation, our support, is himself Jesus Christ. It's not anything else but Christ. And if you don't know what a foundation is, it's the lowest load-bearing part of a building. So think about it in that way. Jesus Christ is the lowest load-bearing part, not in, not in hierarchy, but lowest in, it has to support everything else. It's what everything else is built upon, is Jesus Christ himself. Without a foundation, there's no support for a building to stand. It might stand for a while, but eventually it will crumple, it will rot, and it will fall to the ground. We need a foundation, and ours, the church's, is Jesus Christ. And in fact, this isn't new to Paul. This isn't new to the church. This was told to us by Jesus himself in his earthly ministry. Back in Matthew 16, you don't have to go there, I'll just jump back there and read it to you guys. Jesus himself promises this. Listen to what we have here in a setting. I'll try to sum up a little bit. Jesus asks his apostles, who do people say that I am? And then they give some answers to what people are saying. And then he asks them in verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. He says, upon this rock I will build my church. And this rock, he's not referring to Peter, but he's referring to the truth that Peter just claimed. Peter just said, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the rock that the church is built upon. This wonderful truth that Jesus is the Christ. He is our Savior and He is our Lord. Upon that is the church built and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And oh my goodness, this is such a wonderful truth that Jesus Christ is our foundation. Our Savior is our foundation. Apart from Christ, we have no right relationship with God and so we would have no foundation as believers to be right with God. We would have nothing to bring to Him. We would have no reason to be a church apart from Jesus Christ and His work that He has done for us. It's because Jesus Christ became a man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, and rose again that we have this great foundation. And I want to make it clear, there is no other possible foundation for the church. That... That's very clear in our text back in 1 Corinthians 3. Look at that verse one more time. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid. Paul's making the point, there isn't any other foundation upon which we can be laid. There is nothing else that supports the church. There is no, nothing that is a foundation. Only Jesus Christ. There's literally nothing else. Way too often, people are trying to build on non-foundations for church ministry. People think they can build on good works. People think they can build on tradition, on Christian moral teaching, on ethics. 
Or it could just go on and on on the things people are trying to build the church on, but none of those will last. None of those things are even close to being a support, a foundation for the church. We can only find foundation in Jesus Christ, and that is where we must start. And that brings a seriousness to our building. If we think about this, if I think the foundation I'm building on isn't just some other thing, but it is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, then I start to think, holy smokes, I am doing something serious right now. This isn't any other thing I'm doing when I do ministry. I'm building up people upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And so my thought would be, we had better do it well. We had better be careful how we build when we put it on Jesus Christ. Because whatever we build on Jesus Christ will actually be tested. We don't just hope, okay, well, if I just do whatever, say it's in the name of Jesus, then God will be pleased. No, God is testing, will test our works. That's the second point we have. Our work will be tested by God himself. Look at verses 12 to 15 with me. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So what we have to first understand as we look at this, that while it is imperative that we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, it is also imperative that we build with proper materials. We have to build with the right things. And we're, we're given, Paul uses six different materials to really divide, uh, describe two groups of different building materials. On one hand over here, you have gold, silver, and precious stones. And on the other hand over here, you will have wood, hay, and straw. In simpler terms, on this hand, you'll have imperishable materials. And on this hand, you'll have perishable materials. On this hand, you have materials of great worth. And on this hand, you have worthless materials. There is a way to do ministry, that is what we're getting at, that is of great worth to the building up of the church. Or there is ministry that is worthless, that will not last, and that has no use. And I was just thinking about it. I'm like, what kind of ministry is useless? What kind of ministry doesn't really last? And one thought that came to mind is something we kind of joke about with Christian lingo is we're going to have a sick night of fellowship tonight. You know, we're just going to really fellowship. And I stopped and thought, I was like, what does that mean to fellowship? Fellowshipping with the body of Christ is more than just hanging out with your friends in the church. As good as that is, you, fellowship is far more. Fellowship should include talking about spiritual things, talking about our growth in Christ, confessing sin to one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another to grow in Christ-likeness. Just an example, ministry that is worthless is something that claims to be fellowship but isn't actually fellowship. That's just one example of something that's like, what are you actually doing? You're just kind of hanging out, watching the game. Um, you're not really talking about spiritual things. And it's fine to do that. You should. But I don't know if that's actually fellowship. You're not, there's no spiritual anything in that. You're just watching football with, with other guys. Um, and that's fine. But you should also be talking about sin, talking about growing Christ-likeness, talking about what you're reading in the Word. You don't have to do it all the time either. Don't think I'm like, I 
don't think I'm up here saying, I have no fun. All I talk about is spiritual things. Um, we do want to have fun. We want to laugh with each other. We want to rejoice with each other. But we want to do far more than that, too. So there is ministry that is worthless. There is ministry that just doesn't last and is not of great worth. And it's important to know this because verse 13 says, our work in ministry is going to be revealed for what it truly is. Look at that. Each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. There's a specific appointed day in which our ministry will be revealed. It will be shown, here's what you did, and here's if it was worthless or, or worthwhile. And if you're like me, you're probably asking, well, what day? What day is this going to happen? And we have that answered for us, actually, in 2 Corinthians. Go, go back over to 2 Corinthians and look at chapter 5 with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We have this written for us. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. There is a day we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be recompensed for our deeds, whether good or bad. And here, this is talking about all of our deeds in the Christian life, because he is talking to believers appearing before the judgment seat of Christ. And this isn't a judgment for sin either. This is a... Here's what you've done that's good. Here's what you've done that's worthless. And you better believe that on that day, our ministry is going to be part of that evaluation. <clears throat> it will be tested. God will determine whether what we have done is worth, worthwhile building with imperishable materials or if it's not. And this is a... I wanted to make that clear. It's a test, too. He says that in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. It will be, um, excuse me, hold on, where am I? Verse 13, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Again, I think if you just read it, see that this isn't talking about judgment for sin. This is testing the quality of your work. How quality was it? Were you building well? And I, I read this commentator and he had this to say about why he's using fire here. He says this, Fire is the symbol of testing. Just as it purifies metal, so will the fire of God's discernment burn up the dross and leave what is pure and valuable. The reason we're tested with fire is because it will test and see what lasts and what doesn't last. Think about these materials again. Gold, silver, precious stones, and wood, hay, and straw. Wood, hay, and straw are just going to be burned right up in a fire. But gold, silver, and precious stones, those will last. They will be refined and purified and prove how valuable of work they were to the church. <clears throat> but more so, remember, in testing for Christians, there is reward. That's what verse 14 tells us. When we're tested, there are benefits from that testing. It's not like, okay, you got tested and that's done. But there are positive results from this testing. Look at verse 14. If any man's work, which he has built on it, remains, he will receive a reward. There is a reward given to the faithful ministry, building with imperishable materials. There is a reward that we can look forward to when we are doing ministry well. And don't, don't start to think, oh man, I don't want to think about rewards because I just want Christ. Motive for reward is seen throughout Scripture. Just read the Bible and you'll see there is motive 
of getting reward to have faithfulness in the Christian life. I've got a few examples. We're not going to jump to any of these, but I'll just tell you what, what they are. You can look at them later and look up others as well for yourself. But one, one such place, the parable of the talents. In Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, Jesus gives this parable where, he, where a, um, a man gives, I think, like gold or something valuable to servants, and they have to take it and use it while he's gone for his business. And for each one that does well with that, at, at the end when he sees what they've done, what they've brought back for him, he, he says to them, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. So as a reward for their faithfulness to do what their master has called them to do, these slaves get a commendation. Well done, good and faithful slave. They are granted charge over many more things than they, were had, than they already had. And then he says, enter into the joy of your master. Commendation, more um, charge over things, and entering into your master's joy are all rewards in the parable of the talents that we can look forward to if we are faithful. Another such instance of, of reward for faithfulness, 1 Peter 5 Faithful shepherds are promised the unfading crown of glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Um, James 1 verse 12 says that the man who remains steadfast under trial will receive the crown of life. Matthew 5 verse 12, the persecuted are promised reward when they endure and suffer for Jesus' namesake. There is reward throughout the New Testament promised for believers. And here in 1 Corinthians 3, this is another instance of reward, and for us, it's specifically when building up the church on the foundation of Christ with imperishable things. When we do ministry well, we are promised reward. On the flip side, though, there's also negative results from this testing for those who are unfaithful. There is a loss. Look at verse 15. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And this motive to suffer loss is also found in Scripture. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.10, we're accountable for every action, whether good or bad. Everything we're accountable for. And we will be recompensed for each deed. Um, one verse, I was just blown away when I found this, because like, I can't, like, this is exactly what I'm looking for, and it's here in the Bible, is 2 John chapter, verse 8. And I want you guys all to flip back there with me. This is right towards the end of your Bible might be easier to go to Revelation, go back to Jude, and then you'll see 3 John, and then turn the page, and you're at 2 John. And 2 John verse 8 just nails it on the head. I mean, John's kicking butt when he says this. It's incredible. <laughs> Let me tell you. Verse 8, John, John writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, Watch yourselves, that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. He wants... His, these people he's writing to, to receive the full reward. The implication of that, there is potential to receive less than your full reward. There is potential for loss in the Christian life at the end. You may not receive your full reward if you don't watch yourself and if you're not faithful. I also found this quote regarding warnings, and it also is just hits it on the head. This is from a, um, a, a book about end times prophecy, and he has a, has a section on the judgment seat of Christ for believers. And he said, this author said this, Again and again, 
The Lord Jesus and the apostles challenged believers to avoid the loss of reward, inheritance, and rest, and to gain a full reward. This is one of the motives consistently given to believers so that they might daily live their lives to honor Jesus Christ. One of the motives we have to live out in a way that we're called to live out in Scripture scripture is, you will suffer loss if you don't. There will be loss at the end. We need to understand this, guys. The loss will be significant enough that it's written about in Scripture, and it will be evident. If it wasn't evident, I don't know if it would be written about. But he says, there will be loss. And if you even think about our setting in 1 Corinthians 3, if something's burned up, you know if it's burned up. There is loss. We should receive motivation to not suffer this loss. And even this continues on. Check out the end of verse 15 in, in, our, in our passage. There in verse 15, the last um, little phrase he has, he says, but he himself, referring to the man who is building, will be saved. Again, no, not judgment of sin in any way. There's no, no judgment of sin. There's no purgatory or whatever you want to call it for the believer. He will be saved. But catch this. Yet so as through fire. <laughs> Guys, let me tell you, you do not want to be this believer saved as through fire. That is bad news. You don't want to be the believer going into heaven with the smell of smoke lingering on your clothes. You don't want that. This is a warning for us not to waste our opportunities to minister. Don't waste your life not ministering and not ministering well. We are called to something great. We are called to building on the foundation with such priceless materials, yet we can waste those opportunities. We should be seeking to make the fullest use of everything we're given to us, whatever form of ministry that is, to disciple and build up the church to the fullest extent that we are possible with everything we can. We are called to go all in in ministry because we don't want to suffer this loss. We don't want to go into heaven knowing, I didn't receive my full reward. I didn't get everything I could have gotten. And if, if you're going to ask, what does that look like in heaven? I'm going to tell you, I don't know. We're told there's reward. We're told there's loss. And that's the extent of it. Whatever it's going to look like, it's going to look different than anything we've seen because we're still going to be in perfection and glorified bodies. But there still will be loss. And, and this this scripture should motivate us to not want that loss. I do not want to go through that fire. You do not want to go through that fire. The goal of faithful ministry then should be for us to build up the church, build up this unique people so that they glorify God because we can give it all and receive the full reward. But we see too there's one last motivation here the uniqueness of what we are building up, what it truly is, verses 16 and 17. Look at these verses with me. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. We are receiving a serious warning here about the building that we're building up. There is... So much seriousness in these two verses. This is no ordinary building that we're working on. This isn't just another house. No, this is the temple of God. This is where God dwells. We read that. The Spirit of God dwells in you. 
This is the temple that we're building up. And, and I can tell you guys, when we read these verses, don't think verse 16 is talking specifically individual people. He's talking about the church as a whole. The do you not know, that's plural. That you are a temple of God, that's plural. And that the Spirit of God dwells in you, that's plural. If you want to think about it this way, you could, we could read it like that. Do y'all not know that y'all are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in y'all? It's a little southern, but that's what we're reading. <laughs> y'all are the temple of God. And he takes this temple seriously. God takes his temple so seriously. Look at verse 17. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. He will destroy the person who seeks to destroy the temple of God, and that is severe. There is destruction coming to the man who seeks to destroy the temple of God. And here, referring primarily to false teachers is what Paul is getting at. As we understand this, that false teachers will be destroyed. There are those who are seeking to lead the church astray from Jesus Christ, and there is severe condemnation coming for them. Let me read to you again in, first, in 2 Peter chapter, chapter 2 on this severity that we see here. Verses 1 to 3, But false teachers also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. It's coming. Judgment is coming for false teachers. And you may be wondering, why is he bringing this in here? Why, is, why, is, why are we reading about false teachers in 1 Corinthians chapter 3? And I think it's because we have to understand how seriously God takes his temple, how seriously God takes his building. If he's going to destroy the man that's seeking to destroy his temple, of course he takes it seriously. He doesn't just say, that's not cool. He says, no, I'm going to destroy you. And for us, then we're... What about us? We want to be faithful ministries. We don't ministers. We don't want to be destroying the temple. And even if we aren't building with gold, silver, and precious stones, if we're building with wood, hay, and straw, we're still not destroying the temple. But what we must understand from these verses is God still takes this seriously. He doesn't just think, you can build however you want on my temple. This is my temple. You're building that up. You cannot just build however you want. And he even gives this reason, too. Why will he destroy that man? Why should we take this so seriously? For, verse 17, end of it, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. God takes his temple seriously because it's holy. The, the temple is holy because that is where the glory of God dwells. It is set apart for the glory of God. If you read about the temple in the Old Testament, you see that all over the place. That was where God's glory was most on display. In fact, when the temple was first built and first dedicated in 1 Kings chapter 8, when the glory of God first rested on it, it was so pervasive that they couldn't even minister. They couldn't even go in and offer sacrifices because God's glory was there. They couldn't even go. It was like, wow, this is intense. God's glory is there. Because, and it was holy for that purpose. The temple of God now is still holy. It hasn't changed in the New Testament. God's glory is still most on display in his temple, but that temple is now the church. The people are now the dwelling place of God on earth. 
And we are building that up so that it is holy and so that it glorifies God. Guys, listen, we have some seriousness to this text. We are given some incredibly serious reasons as to why we need to be careful how to build. We're building on Jesus Christ as the foundation. I think that alone would have sufficed to say, be careful how you build. And yet we're also reminded that there is, there is a judgment coming for how we build. We will be tested by God on this. And then we also remember we're not just building up any old building. The foundation is part of what is being built up as the temple of God. To be holy, to glorify Him. It is crucial that we take care how we build on this foundation. And that's what we understand from this text. But then, if you're like me, as we're wrapping up, I was, I was starting to think, well, what does this look like to take care practically? What should I be doing? What is worthwhile? What is going to be gold, silver, and precious stones rather than wood, hay, and straw? And I think, first and foremost, look to the scriptures. It tells us how we are to minister, what the primary focus of ministry is. And let me tell you, I think the most important thing for us to be doing is discipleship. The church in Matthew 28 was given the great commission to make disciples. That's our, our call on, that's our commission on this earth. And so in ministry, our primary focus ought to be, how can I make disciples while I'm doing this? How can I make disciples? And one of the best ways to do that is invest in people by studying the Bible with them. Grab someone, study the Bible with them. Go through John and learn about Jesus and all his glories. Go through Romans and learn the fundamentals of the gospel. Go through the whole book with people. Study it. Study it yourself so that you don't just know it yourself, but you can pour it into other people's lives with the Bible. Disciple practically in one-on-one ways with Bible study. But also use your gifts, natural abilities, and opportunities presented to you to make these disciples. Again, remember, we've been given special gifts. We've been given spiritual gifts to serve in the church. Along with that, we all have natural abilities, and we're all presented with different and unique opportunities. And whatever those are, we need to be seeking to make disciples through those means. If you're good at music, sing music, play loudly, help out with the music at worship services, but also think about how you can make disciples in those settings. Think about, hey, maybe this guy's younger than me, and I can meet up with him, and we have that already as a common ground that we both love music. If you're good at tech, find someone else good at tech and think about and talk about spiritual things while you're together and then study the Bible together as well and think about how does my service in the tech part of the church glorify God and talk about that together. If you're good at works of service, bring in a younger younger guy or gal along with you and serve. Um, There are so many ways to make disciples just through doing what we normally do and thinking about how to be intentional with those opportunities. And, and if we do that, I firmly believe that we will be taking care how we build. We will, we will be building with gold, silver, and precious stones, and we will be then glorifying God and doing the work that he's called us to do. So I think you guys understand this passage. I hope it's impacted you, and I, I just want to say let's pray. And then we'll be wrapping up with another song, I think. Father God, we are so thankful for your word. Lord, we, we 
are just so blessed to be able to have what you have written down for us, you have recorded, and the way in which you want us to live and minister. Lord, I pray we would take this seriously, that we would take care how we build, and that we would seek to give you glory in all things and to make disciples. Father, I pray this in your Son's name. Amen.